Hey folks, it's Andy, the analytical preacher. You know, when you look through the four gospels, the first four books there in the New Testament, it doesn't take very long to realize that Jesus had a pretty big problem with the religious leaders of his day. Well, Jesus and John the Baptist both had a pretty big problem with the religious leaders of their day. So in this podcast, what I want to do is talk about what that problem was and kind of look at it in the religious arena, which is, of course, where Christ's primary concern was. But then also, in a follow-up podcast, look at how those same issues relate to us in the political or in our social worlds as well. The issue Christ had with the religious leaders of his day is easiest just to term self-righteousness. Now, we sometimes refer to that as moral posturing. I think a more modern term is virtue signaling. But that's the primary issue he had. In other words, they were really more concerned with how they made themselves feel. They were more concerned with how they looked on the outside than any true motivations that might be coming from the inside. They were more concerned about appearance, about looking more righteous, looking more moral than other people. They were concerned about being on the right side of sort of current issues and current trends, whether those trends were particularly good or religious or not. They were more concerned about that than they were about actual real results that would happen in life, the life of believers or the life of the church or the life of God's kingdom, et cetera. And of course, we think today there are still publicly known religious leaders who we would say appear to be primarily concerned with those same things. We would say there are some self-righteous religious leaders today, but I think we would also could easily name politicians, celebrities, other public figures who seem to be more interested in virtue signaling than actually getting down to business and solving problems and so forth. They're more concerned about how they look. They're more concerned about making themselves feel more moral than you are, uh, as opposed to actually doing positive things. So here's the main problem that Jesus had with the self-righteous people of his day. The more that they showcased their own morality, the more that they compared themselves to others, the less they began to feel a need to find their righteousness in Christ. And so what one of the things Jesus came to teach us was we cannot be perfect enough to please God. God is really requiring us to be 100% perfect 100% of the time for 100% of our life. And we just can't meet that standard of God's utter pure holiness when we see that and we compare ourselves to Christ as the standard, then we come to realize there's a gap between us and God. Then Jesus graciously says to us, I can fill that gap. I can complete that gap, put you back together with God by granting my righteousness to you through faith and grace. When we, and even I think for some who posture kind of out of a feeling or a sense of inadequacy, the more that you posture, the more that you proclaim and signal and make public your uh, supposed righteousness, the more that you begin to lose that sensitivity to your own faults and the less you think you need Christ. And so obviously Christ came to preach that message of the gospel, to explode that message of the gospel onto the scene and have it carried throughout the world. And if you are self-righteous, then you are immediately numb to, you're dull to 
the need for Christ and for his righteousness. That's clearly the primary issue that we read about in the scriptures. But there's a deeper issue as well. And the deeper issue is our self-righteousness, our moral posturing can actually cause harm to others, not just to ourselves. It's bad enough if I don't accept Christ because I don't think I need Christ because when I compare myself to others, even in a faulty, very self-serving way, when I compare myself to others, I look pretty darn good compared to these evil people. I don't need anybody to help me along. Jesus says it's more than just that. There's actually a harm that you do to other people. Let me throw a scripture at us real quick. And when you understand, when you look through this uh, issue, through sort of this lens of self-righteousness, these verses at the end of Matthew chapter 11 really take on a much richer meaning and a much greater significance. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, going through verse 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what Jesus is literally saying there, he's saying, come to me, all of you who look to the leaders of the day, and you see them putting on this big public show of virtue. And even though you have these strong suspicions in your mind that maybe they're hypocritical, you still begin to say, I can't follow all those rules, remember all those things, perform all those rituals and all those exact ways. And the burden, the yoke of that is just intense. And ultimately, I know what's happening. You folks are getting discouraged. You just want to give up. You just can't be the kind of person that you see these religious leaders being, at least how they're behaving and performing publicly. And you know that neither publicly nor privately are you going to be able to keep that forced march up. And what Jesus is saying, he's not saying I have no standards and I don't care how you behave. Just the opposite. He is saying, I have a yoke. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is just a strap that you would put across two oxen if you wanted them to pull a plow in unison. Jesus is saying, I do have a yoke. You do need to connect yourself to me. I do have a burden. There's a way that I'm going to ask you to live. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke and the burden of the leaders of our day is heavy because it's not really meant for your benefit. They're intentionally trying to show you how much more moral and righteous they are than you. And they're intentionally making it look better than it really, making themselves look better than they really are. And it appears to you that the way they are acting is almost impossible for you to follow. I'm not going to do that. I do have a yoke. I will put a burden but it's easy because it's ultimately for your benefit. That's what Christ meant by those words. And so again, his primary purpose was to say the self-righteousness, the moral posturing, the virtue signaling of these religious leaders is wrong. And the reason that it is wrong is because it discourages you from seeking God and it actually keeps them from effectively seeking God. So the more we think of ourselves, the less we understand 
and humble ourselves in understanding our need for Christ to be our Savior. But again, there are other reasons. So what I'm going to do is just hit five other reasons why self-righteousness or moral posturing is so harmful and why as Christians in in our religious lives, but really even as citizens in our in our political and social and family lives, why we need to be so careful about posturing, about signaling, because again, it can cause harm in other ways as well. And, and the first one we've already talked about uh, in reading the Matthew 11 verse, it just discourages others when they feel like they can't keep up with the demanding moral requirements that are being put before them. I'll give you a classic example. I have spoken to a number of individuals who have come out of the Pentecostal movement. And they say that in those churches, they were repeatedly told that either you you had to speak in tongues to know that you were saved, or that at least the most righteous, the most spiritual among them were the ones who could speak in tongues. And they said to me, Andy, I suspected that a lot of them were faking speaking in tongues. I, I assured them that they were. That's, a, that's an absurd thing. It's not true. But they said, we were told that that was a status symbol, basically, of our spiritual faith. And so as I began to realize I was never going to be able to speak in another foreign language that I had never learned, it really discouraged me. I tried to live right and treat others right and give money uh, to the kingdom. And I really tried to pray hard and read and understand the scriptures, but I just couldn't speak in tongues. And so I really became discouraged. How is it that these other people, who, to be perfectly honest, didn't look like they were living a life that was all that Christian anyway, how is it that they were getting this blessing, this gift of being able to speak in tongues? Again, it's a whole separate podcast for me to speak about, uh, talk about speaking in tongues and where that is in the church today. But let's just leave it at this. Folks in those churches are not speaking in biblical tongues and speaking in biblical tongues not then or now, in no way suggest any kind of elevated spiritual standing. So it, it discouraged folks. Thankfully, some of those folks have come to non-Pentecostal churches and learned the truth and have built beautiful relationships with Christ. My fear, of course, as a minister is how many have been pushed out of the Pentecostal churches by the, by the posturing, by the signaling of these uh, so-called tongue speakers and then lost, got discouraged, lost their faith, and didn't seek Christ in a different avenue. Second point is simply this. It, we all know that hypocrisy tends to rise along with self-righteousness. The more that I try to convince you that I'm this person, and that I have these good moral characteristics, and that at least these other characteristics I'm better at than you, and really better at than most other people, the more I feel compelled to be a little bit of a hypocrite, to say one thing but do another, to try to protect this image this that I've built, uh, to try to defend that with you. And obviously, when we are hypocritical, we really harm the cause that we're trying to promote. And so the problem is when Christians become self-righteous, when we, make, we want to make sure that others understand just how good we are, and then they catch us in hypocrisy, it really harms the cause of, here's the cause. The cause is we want people to come to know Jesus Christ. We want them to understand their need for the righteousness of Christ, and we want them to turn their life over. Romans 10 talks about 
We have to confess Jesus as Lord with our mouths. That literally means I need to agree that with what God is saying, that Jesus should be the leader of my life. Jesus should be choosing my thoughts. Jesus should be choosing my actions. Jesus should be choosing my purpose in life, etc. In order to get people to really completely hand themselves and their lives over to Christ. They need to see that in some way modeled in Christianity. But here's the problem. There's this constant theme, it seems like, in the public sphere about sexual scandals. In just the last six months, there have been major sexual scandals talked about in the news with the Catholic Church. There have been major sexual scandals talked about in the news with Southern Baptist churches. And and over the past year or two, there have been major sexual scandals talked about at mega churches such as Willow Creek or Hillsong, etc. And the problem is, as marginal Christians or seekers see that, and they hear this preacher say to them, you need to give your entire life, you need to surrender your entire heart to Jesus Christ and seek His will for every moment of your life. And then they see these sexual scandals, they go, oh, okay. They just say that, but they don't mean that. And the folks that we're trying to influence, we lose our influence over because they see us acting hypocritical. The third point kind of deals with an odd twist in human nature. That The problem with moral posturing is when we are signaling more than we are really trying to be the person that Christ is calling us to be, but we're more worried about signaling and how you perceive me to be, we tend to start to focus more negative energy on those that we're quote unquote against, those who are challenging us for moral superiority, as opposed to spending positive energy loving or building up the things that we support. And again, it's kind of an odd twist of human nature, but it is a very real twist of human nature. So for example, I have gone to dozens of church websites where the church on the front page of their website brags about, we only do this type of music. We only do this style of music. We only use this translation of the Bible. We only meet at this time of the day or whatever. And they are comparing themselves to other churches that use a different translation of the Bible or that have an evening service as well as a morning service or whatever the difference is. What they should be doing on a church website is saying, our God is amazing and we're throwing all of our positive energy, we're throwing all of our support and love and commitment toward the God that created us and died to save us. That's where the energy should go. And if I'm not worried about who's more moral, me or you, because this is what I would say, whoever's listening to this podcast right now, I'm not more moral than you. I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sins, just like you do. So we don't have to compete for who's the most moral. What I would rather do with you is say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner Ideally, hopefully, who's been saved by grace? Isn't our God amazing? You see the difference in how that works, that kind of odd twist of nature there. Number four, through the posturing, through the signaling, we can actually convince, uh, sometimes we even can convince ourselves, we certainly can convince others that something is being done, that an issue is being addressed when it's not, and, and or when it's not being addressed appropriately. We can sort of lessen the intensity, 
to actually get something done, to actually make an impact. Let me give you a real quick example. If I were to say to you, there's this mission organization or this missionary that I support, and they're helping with medical evangelism. They're helping educate young children. They're helping to promote women's issues in some of these other countries. And this is how they do their work. And these are the people that they're bringing to Jesus Christ. And this is how they're educating, et cetera. You might get excited and say, I want to be a part of that work. Who is that missionary? How do I fund them as well? I would like to play a role in that. If, however, I do the opposite, and instead of telling you again how great this missionary is and the awesome work they're doing in the name of Jesus Christ, I brag to you how much I support them. Did you know I got a note from that missionary that said I was one of their top 10 donors last year? Oh, you're taking a two-week vacation to Hawaii. Oh, well, that yeah, good for you. Good for you. I don't take two-week vacations. I only take maybe four or five days, and I just kind of stay close. You know, I go to Florida or something because I prefer to send my money to this missionary. So, yeah, I'm sending a lot of money. there. But, you know, you enjoy that Hawaii vacation because, yeah, 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 that's good. When we do that sort of thing, we can sort of convince the person, one, you're going to say, Boy, he's full of himself. He really thinks he's something, doesn't he? Like he's never taken a vacation before. But the other problem is you may go, well, maybe that missionary that he's supporting does good work. He didn't really tell me the work that they do, so I don't know. But it sounds like he's got it covered anyway. If he's this big donor and all this stuff, as opposed to me telling you there's a missionary, I love them, they're doing great work. Here's the things that they do, blah, 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 blah. And then you feel more compelled. And so again, I can sort of convince you that the issue is taken care of and that in this developing country where they don't have clean water and they don't have good education facilities and they don't have good health facilities and women's rights are not being promoted appropriately, you may come to be convinced that because I keep going on at the mouth about it, that, well, maybe everything's fine there and you don't need to pitch in and help. And then finally, the fifth point, we'll close out with this one. Obviously, self-righteous signaling can cause us to point the blame or to focus attention for problem solutions on the wrong factor so that the problem never actually gets fixed. So in other words, maybe a parent is struggling with their child's discipline, but they don't want to admit to other parents or to educators or to their Christian friends at church. They don't want to admit that they're not sure about doing this parenting thing or they've made some mistakes. So the easiest thing, of course, to do is to blame the child's misbehavior on something else. Did you know that? It's not that we let our child participate in this activity and maybe both of us should reassess that, that our child belongs to this club or this group, but it's those public schools or whatever it is that we want to blame it on. And so, again, when we do that, We ultimately convince ourselves and we can convince others what we need to be able to do is say, here's the honest problem. Now, when I tell you this is really the issue, you may say to me, well, wow, that doesn't make you look real Christian. Well, that's okay. I'm human. I do make mistakes. I don't want to sin, but I will sin. And it's so much better for me to say, I made a mistake here. Maybe I want to ask your forgiveness. I know I need to ask God's forgiveness, but at least if I put the honest issue on the table, then we can address the issue and find a joint solution. If I continually lie to you about what the real issue is, because I'm so concerned about protecting this moral status that I've built up through all this posturing and signaling, then clearly the real true cause of the issue may never 
get identified and therefore, of course, the issue would never get fixed. Okay, in the next podcast, we're going to talk about this virtue signaling issue, but we're going to look at those exact same five points and how they might relate to us in our political, our social, and family lives as opposed to in the religious arena in our church lives. But until then, this is Andy. Thanks for listening.